You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand, WERA.FM. I think sometimes when you look at something through a different lens, it allows you to see things that you didn't see before. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Have you ever looked at a work of art and suddenly felt an extraordinary epiphany, felt something kick in, come together, split open, finally make sense in a way it never had before? Music can have that same effect. There's something about the creativity of others interpreting the world around us that helps each of us, all of us, see things, see things differently. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. Today's guest, artist Rebecca Kamen, is sort of a life hack for all of that. In Reveal, an exhibit at the American University Museum at the Katzen Art Center this fall, she unlocks curiosity as a creative link between the arts, the humanities, and the sciences, and explores the symbiotic relationship behind scientific research and the development of artwork. As a sculptor and lecturer on the intersections of art and science, Rebecca says she seeks the truth through observation. Her artwork is informed by wide-ranging research into cosmology, history, and philosophy, and by connecting common threads that flow across various scientific fields, all to capture and reimagine what the scientists are seeing. For many years, she taught at Northern Virginia Community College, and she continues in an emeritus position there, investigating how the arts and creativity can enhance innovation and our understanding of science. Currently, she's artist-in-residence in the Computational Neuroscience Initiative and the Department of Physics and Astronomy at the University of Pennsylvania, where she conducts research for the development of new artwork that explores the notions of curiosity and the creative process in art and science. You get the idea. Rebecca's interests and artwork are wide and wonderful. In the words of her AU collaborator, philosophy professor Perry Zern, she dances with curiosity. I love this idea of exploring the notion of curiosity. Do you have a working definition of curiosity? Do you, what's your notion of curiosity? Wow, that's a tough question. It's a full question <laughs> because, well, let me just go back to when I was a child. I was one of those children that had to understand how everything worked in the universe. Uh -huh. It was just the way I was made up. So as a kid, I would take everything apart, whether it was a doll, whether it was a toy, and I would dismantle it to try to get some kind of understanding and then put it back together of how it worked, why it was so. And I feel I came into the world being curious about how things worked. And to me, curiosity is about trying to understand the, the working notions of how everything works in the universe 
and how you respond to that. You know, for me, curiosity creates almost like a mirror, which allows me to see how I connect to anything that I'm looking at. And so for me, curiosity started at a very young age. Um, I just always, as I said prior, wanted to understand how things work. Yeah. And has that evolved? It has. It has evolved very much. And actually, I actually came into the world wanting to be a scientist. Um, I really struggled with reading and math as a child. I later found out after I became a college professor that I had dyslexia which explained a lot of the learning challenges that I had. But one of the profound gifts of dyslexia is an ability to make connections, yeah. see them and make them that most people can. And, and to this day, I do a lot of lecturing to scientists and they're fascinated because what I tell them, my ability to make these connections is to provide a new lens for them to understand the science that they're doing, because I collaborate a lot with scientists. And so what I'm able to do is to listen and to see and to interpret what I'm understanding they're doing. And in doing that, I create something that enables them to view what they're doing in a very different way. And I've worked with scientists all over the world. I've worked with scientists in all diverse fields of science. And it's really enabled me to create a richness of understanding about the world around me, whether it's the micro world or the macro world and how it all interconnects. And that conduit is art. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting too, you know, before, before we started recording, we were having the conversation about how you really felt that the curator for this show at American University was able to see things in your work that you couldn't see because you were too close to it. And it sounds like you're a curator for the scientists. You allow them to see things in their work that they're too close to see themselves. That's pretty extraordinary. Well, thank you. You know, I think sometimes when you look at something through a different lens, it allows you to see things that you didn't see before. Part of my curiosity um, manifested during the pandemic. I, like everyone else in the world, and literally the world, was terrified. Oh, my God, we were on lockdown. Right. And so one of the ways I thought I could diffuse the situation for myself was to try to understand the meaning of the pandemic. And in searching out this personal meaning for me, I had this feeling it would make it less threatening. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. And I'll never forget Dr. Collins, Francis Collins, who's the director of NIH, had uh, written this wonderful story on his blog. And it talked about electron microscopy that was being done by a lab called the Rocky Mountain Lab in Montana. And it was a group of women, actually. It was really interesting. And so I reached out and you know, introduced myself. And I had been artist in residence at NIH in the neuroscience program. Quite fortuitously, they had seen the 
artwork, the sculptures that I have permanently installed in the Porter Neuroscience Research Center. And here I was reaching out to them. So they were very (laughs) receptive and they were very willing to share their uh, electron microscopy images. These are some of the first images we had in this country of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And so they sent them to me and I was in total awe. And I was fascinated with how something so small and so beautiful could be so deadly. Yeah. And so we had this beautiful ongoing dialogue during the whole pandemic. They're going to also, their work is going to be part of the exhibition and the catalog. But one of the things to answer your question is I I was invited to come do a, a lecture for the lab people at that lab about my work. And it was so fascinating because one question, um, one of the young lab members said to me how in all they were of how eloquently I spoke about things that they research, huh. that they felt it was a gift that not everyone see something and they can really describe it either through their work or through their words. And that really meant a lot to me because I have always tried to see the poetry Mm -hmm. in science. You know, I, I find it very poetic. I mean, scientists and artists, we're looking at the same things. We're trying to tell nature's story, you know, through different means, you know, scientists do it through data, algorithms, uh, as artists, we use paint, we use sculpture to describe the beautiful and rich symmetry that that, that exists in the world around us um, and above us. Oh, man. See, this is what I knew this was going to be the challenge of this interview, because there's so many things to that, so many threads I want to pursue there. But so I want to I want to just put a pin in something going back to the dyslexia, because I know that there's research that suggests that dyslexia may actually be associated with enhanced abilities for certain types of visual processing. And that, and you've described this ability to sort of see things in relationship and literally see things in relationship with one another as, as a gift of dyslexia, which I think is this wonderful reframing of the narrative around dyslexia. And I think that's sort of, wow, I feel like that's what you do all the time is you're sort of reframing the way we think about any old scientific thing, whether it's dyslexia, the pandemic, uh, brain tumors. And I think about that in this context of, you know, sort of my working definition of curiosity. Seems fair that, you know, I keep asking people for that definition. I should have one that's, you know, it's constantly, it changes. but, But right now, sort of my working definition is that choosing to be curious is believing there's an opportunity in the unknown. And I feel like your sort of investigative spirit is an illustration of that. And that what you're always looking for is these, as as again, Sarah Tongi so beautifully puts it in her curator notes, being conscious of these uncanny convergence, comfort with uncertainty and flux, uh, I keep thinking of the expression that, you know, chance favors the prepared mind. I feel like curiosity favors the prepared mind. I would describe it as a curiosity practice, right? You prepare your mind, you open your mind to all of this stuff, and then let come what will come. Does that sound right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, 
what was so beautiful about Sarah's essay for me personally is I, I've known Sarah for a long time, as I mentioned prior, and she does a lot of curation with art science work. And I really feel that she being the curator, we've had this ongoing dialogue. I've created all the artwork, but she really helped me sort of put it in a narrative, mm -hmm. which, you know, as a writer, that's what her gift is. Mine, I'm, I feel like a pure channel to experience, you know, I'm just responding to what's being presented to me. And that's my curiosity. That's how my curious mind works. I mean, I started this exhibition at AU fall 2019. And on the second day was rushed to Georgetown Hospital, um, only to find out I had a brain tumor. How ironic. Yeah, this is the most extraordinary story. <laughs> Yeah, I've studied the brain for almost 10 years at NIH as a curious person. And here I am being told you have a brain tumor, but just not anyone, one that was on my optic nerve. And to me, <laughs> the extraordinary nature of where that was located, I mean, the optic nerve, it, it's the conduit, you know, mm -hmm. between our eyes and between the visual cortex and, and data gets transferred. And here I have a tumor the size of a walnut or almost the size of a walnut just sitting there. It's been sitting there for years. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring this up is it was terrifying for me. I mean, even the intellectual part of knowing, you know, wow, you know, this is really fascinating. It was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was I had the surgery and then a month later, I was recovering in my home in Philadelphia, and I had this urge to go into my studio because I was experiencing terrible double and triple vision. And my curious side says, <laughs> wow, this is a unique experience. You've never had this kind of vision before. You're, you're an artist. Wow. So I went into my studio and had a pile of paper and I just started painting uh -huh. and I produced a painting every day for probably a month and a half. Uh -huh. And that's going to be part of this exhibition because for me, it was research. I was, I'm able now to look back at something I had. I don't anymore. You know, my double vision has been cured, but I love the fact because I was curious. I had to figure out a way that I could capture mm -hmm you know, what I was experiencing. And, you know, no, not an iPhone camera. That's, right. that's not going <laughs> to, that's not going to show me what's going on in my head. I need something that's going to be a conduit from my head through my arm onto a piece of paper. Yeah. But the ability to sort of stay curious in the face of crisis, use your curiosity to find a way through the experience. And that's really what the show is, right? I think Reveal is a pretty great name for the show. Tell us tell us something about the show, actually, since we want people to go and see it. <laughs> well, originally it started out because of my enthusiasm for research when I first got to the University of Pennsylvania. And I grew up as a young girl in, in uh, Philadelphia. My dream was always to go to Penn I had real challenges because of my dyslexia 
to even get into college. It, it's mm-hmm. amazing. My parents really advocated because they knew how much I wanted to teach. And so I found art education where I didn't have to take any math courses. And once I got into that, oh my God, fellowships to two master's degrees afterwards. So, I mean, all things are truly possible. And that's one of the things I try to do when I empower students, you know, when I go and invited to speak in front of students is don't ever be limited by what someone else tells you. You know, if you can, if you can see it, you can do it, you know, and just go Mm -hmm. for it. But in terms of this exhibition, I was told that they were doing research on curiosity. And I was working with Danny Bassett, who I know has been on your show before. Yeah, yeah. And Danny and I had met years ago. I've done some lecturing uh, in her classes. And she said, you know, there's a, there's a postdoc of mine that's doing research on knowledge networking. I think you would be perfect for that study. So um, it was David Lydon Stanton, Stanley, who's, who's been on your show. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So he and I just really clicked. He was dealing with Wikipedia, you know, that was their study in terms of trying to determine how people acquired knowledge networks. And I said, well, you know, I use Wikipedia, but the way I research, the way I manifest my curiosity, I'm a visual learner. And so I said, what would you think if I put power, a PowerPoint together to share with you my process of discovery said, Oh, that'd be great. We, you know, I hadn't done that before. And it was fascinating because I realized I process my understanding of things through PowerPoints. Oh, interesting. I have hundreds of PowerPoints of different processes of discovery, because for me, seeing the visuals really enable me to weed the narrative that I'm going to be either you know, discussing in my artwork or sharing through a lecture. And so he was fascinated. We started working together. We just had this really great chemistry. I took two or three installations that I did and through PowerPoint shared with him my process of discovery. Well, he got very excited about it. And then I thought, wow, this would be make a really fascinating exhibition because usually you see the outcome of an artist's journey of discovery. How about doing an exhibition that shows the whole process? Is there a way that we can capture the process so people can see what it's like, you know, in midstream, you know, how do artists and scientists, because scientists are the same way. And so anyway, everyone at Penn got excited about that. And then Perry Zern, who was at AU, was excited too, because he's looking at curiosity more from a philosophical point of view. And so he was just very influential in arranging this exhibition. And so I thought this is exactly what I love and what I'm about is bringing all these different groups of people who are looking at one thing, in this case, curiosity and the creative process from very different vantage points and to use my work as a way of sort of showing a response to how this knowledge gets formed, not only formed, but how it manifests in in objects. And and then the next part of this, which will be interesting to me, is the audience's responses to it. So how my curious objects make other people curious. How would I, as a viewer, communicate to you what my experience of the exhibit 
is? It's a really interesting, it's a really interesting question because otherwise you'll never know. Well, you know, it, it, you bring up an interesting point because I have always been of the belief that when you create a work of art, when I create a work of art, you can never, ever have the same experience that I have had. Right. Because a piece of art is like a mirror. When you stand in front of it, you see something very different. And that to me is the real power of art, but you can never have the same identical experience I have had, but I can create something that I put out into the world that becomes this mirror that allows you to look at it yourself and see what it brings up about yourself. So that's how I spent my (laughs) pandemic. So so it was really um, an epiphany for me and really was a a huge catalyst for the development of all the work in the exhibition. Yeah. Man, it's like a synthesis of everything. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Always, always. Well, so here, speaking of bringing disparate things together, before I let you go, are you willing to do my big jar of wannabe analogies with me? Oh, absolutely. It might turn into another piece of artwork. Oh, 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 I would love that. All right, hold on. Okay, so I have this literal right, big bring jar. Bring it on, bring it on. Okay, bring it on. Okay, literal jar. I'm taking out three slips of paper, one for you, one for me, one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. Yours is waterfall. How is curiosity like a waterfall? And mine is woodpecker. So do you want to go or you want me to go first? You go first. (laughs) Okay. How is curiosity like a woodpecker? You know, I was walking yesterday actually, and I was out in the woods and I heard a woodpecker and I was kind of looking around to try to see it. And it took me a while to spot it. And but I knew it was there, you know, it was making its noise. I knew it was there. And um, I think curiosity is a little like that. It's this drilling in at things. And sometimes you kind of know what's going on, but you don't really know where it is. But like a woodpecker, it's persistent, you know, wood, uh, solid trees are no, are no barrier to its pursuit of um, the goodies that it wants. So I guess, I guess that's how I think curiosity is like a woodpecker. So how is curiosity like a waterfall? Oh man, it's perfect. And I'm a water sign according to astrology. Oh, well, there Um, you go. I see the (laughs) rushing movement, you know, the fluidity uh, of, of, of movement, something that really, when we are in a curious state, we embrace. There's, there's, fluid ideas, things are always shape-shifting, just like water. Um, And then when it hits that pool, like any curiosity, it ripples out and sends waves out to nourish other parts of the stream. Uh So for me, it's the perfect metaphor for what this exhibition has been about, this just fluidness and, you know, the other thing about a waterfall, when you look at it, um, it sort of happens on its own. I mean, there is just this incredible sense of, of physics that happens. I mean, it's gravity. 
So for me, when I see things like this, I'm always equating it to the dynamics of, of what I observed in terms of science. So that, that, that powerful stream of, of, of water come down to me is, is sort of a metaphor of connecting heaven and earth because it comes up from high and then it gets grounded below. So um, I, I'm seeing it full of possibilities. Oh, wow. As you were sort of laughing ahead of time, it's like, what was the word that was going to select you? Boy, do I feel like the word selected you. That was wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> and audience, your word is squirrel. How is curiosity like a squirrel? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> hashtag analogy. Well, Rebecca, Thank you so much for this. I'm so excited for the exhibit and excited to continue to watch what you do because I just never know what's coming next, which is like the quintessential curiosity journey. So thank you for being on it with me. Well, thank you for this opportunity to share my own curiosity and the thing that I hope everyone embraces. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. Find us online at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at Choose number two, letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your squirrel analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Rebecca Kamen, for this wonderful conversation. I've got links to her fascinating body of work on my website, as well as to the show now open at American University Katzen Art Center. Check them out. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Volantis by Cauldron via Blue Dot Session. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash novahousehunter. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. 